And this will conclude Matthew chapter 12. We started last time. And um, this is the chapter, the turning point for the religious leaders. Uh, We saw at the beginning, Jesus goes through the grain fields and he's plucking, he's plucking, or his disciples are hungry and they're plucking grain, heads of grain. And it's on the Sabbath day and they have a problem with that. So Jesus is letting them know that he's the Lord of the temple. He's, the, he's greater than the temple. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, they go into uh, the synagogue and they try to set him up as a, a trap to be able to heal this guy with a withered hand. And so it's a setup and their desire is to be able to accuse him, it says in verse 10. As you go on, you'll see... Let's see, we went through chapter 21. You see that in verse 14, it says how they might destroy him. And so there's a transition in take, taking place with the religious leaders. They're about to come to the end. And so uh, before we pray, before we get into where we're at, we're in uh, Matthew 12, starting in verse 22. Today, we ended in 21. But here, let's ask a couple questions. One question. Is it... What are the consequences of believing a lie? What are the consequences of believing a lie? So it's going to depend on the nature of the lie, right? Something could be a blip on the screen, right? I believe they're going to catch Bigfoot. Well, bro, there ain't no Bigfoot, but all right. I mean, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I mean, you know, your life's not going to end or your life's not affected very much by believing they're going to catch Bigfoot. And I'm sorry if I offend you that you think there's Bigfoot, but... I personally don't think there is. Um, but they have this series, Getting Close to Catching Bigfoot. And the whole series, so it's like, wow, that's a lot of money they spend on that. And, and people are watching, yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you believe something like that, it's pretty benign, I would imagine, right? Not, not very poisonous or not very detrimental to your life, right? Um, when do we begin to raise the stakes on the lies we believe? Living a certain lifestyle or doing cer- certain things that... People say, uh, you know, it doesn't make a difference okay. as far as your salvation. <clears throat> okay, when you're talking about salvation. Everyone's doing it, and it's, it, it, it could be a lie saying it's, you know, it's not going to really be accountable for it, but, but it can be. Okay, so things that would hold us accountable, lies as they relate to truth and God. Addiction. Addiction. That, that, okay, yeah, yeah. so those little lies that, that are detrimental to life and lifestyle and then affecting people in our lives pretty detrimental right okay so i think that's a big thing that you know i think we want to bring out today as we look at um just the lies that the religious leaders are believing and we want to be careful for the lies that we believe why do we believe lies it's convenient sometimes it is it's a little easier to believe a lie than to research the truth or look into something why else do we believe lies? Because we trust the people who are telling us. Okay, so maybe a bad source. I thought this person was trustworthy. They told me that they had a great deal. I gave them a down payment and then they left town. You hear a lot of times people will start doing work on a house in a neighborhood. The neighbor's a good source as a reference. Oh man, these guys were great. Nah, dude, they put it in in like two days and they were out of here, left the house perfect, spotless. Then they go around taking down payments from the rest of the neighbors in the neighborhood 
start work on maybe one, and then once they have all those down payments, as many as they think they can go, they, they flee. And they got all these down payments on this work. And so it's a scam, right? You believed a lie. You believed uh, maybe a good source, right? Your neighbor who, oh man, yeah, I vouched for them. They, they did good. Okay, So that happens a lot. Lies that you tell yourself. Why do we do that? I think somebody's... I always tell him, like, it's, it's a demon whispering in your ear and all of a sudden you start to worry about it and then you think about it and then you're afraid of it. And you, you build up these things and then all of a sudden you're having a conversation in your head and, and then next thing you know, you think you have it or you think you're getting it or you... Interesting. What do you guys think about that? Demons and lies. Who does the Bible say the father of lies is? The devil. devil. Yeah, so there's definitely some lies that we need to be careful. And we don't know where the lie can end. Like we could believe maybe that Bigfoot is going to be caught. But and then what if we pack up and we move to where we think Bigfoot is? We uproot our family or we leave our family. Our kids are devastated. Left the spouse because we're going to go find Bigfoot. Now, obviously, that little nothing lie that, yeah, I believe they're going to catch Bigfoot one day. That becomes now, now I believe I'm going to catch Bigfoot one day. That's a big difference, isn't it? And so we have to even be careful with the little lies, maybe, because they can turn into detrimental things in our lives and to our lifestyles. There was another question that I had. Let's see if I can remember it. Totally forgot. I had two questions I wanted to open up with. One was definitely the lie thing. Well, as we get into it, if I remember, I'll bring it up. If not, no big deal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and just the fact that it is light exposing darkness. It is truth revealing lies and exposing lies. And so, Lord, I pray that as we see the pages of Scripture, Lord, and we study the Bible, Lord, that it wouldn't be just to gain knowledge, but that it was exposed maybe some of the lies that we believe and some of the deceitful things that we've held on to for whatever reason, Lord. Um, I pray, Father, that we would be transparent with you, that we would be open and available to you to be able to hear truth, but and then to be able to change anything that you would have us to be changing, Lord. And so we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, And so we just pray, Father, that you would bless this time that we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we got a little history. Let's pick it up, verse 22. The Bible says, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Now, we mentioned it last week in our time of question and answer period after the Bible study, but... You know, why the religious leaders were having such a difficult time. Now, it is believed that when the nation of Israel would cast out demons, that they would be able to ask that demon um, what its name was and what its power was. And so the only one that they couldn't cast out was a blind, or not a blind, but a mute demon who had taken the vocal cords, if you will, of that individual. And so they couldn't ask. And so this is an interesting dynamic here because there's there's been a rejection already of Jesus where he's doing things on the Sabbath that they believe was against the law and forbidden. 
He's not the Messiah of their desire, whatever that means. And so you've got all of these kind of things moving in a direction. But remember, you have Satan in the back of all of this as well, doing something in their hearts and in their lives. Now, Satan can't do anything that we don't participate and cooperate with as far as what we're believing and what we're doing. Now, he can definitely oppress from the outside, but he cannot possess a believer because who dwells within us? Yeah, so we are the temple of God, right? The Holy Spirit is in our heart. Jesus resides inside of us. And so God is not on this, like, I don't know what they call it, a co-op plan or something where, you know, he's going to share with Satan, right? And so I I studied demonology for, you know, this chapter because we're going to get in a lot of demon stuff. But demonology is just the study of demons. And demons, where do they come from? (laughs) Hell. Okay, so they are fallen angels, right, that fell with Satan. Satan is the leader of the dark world. Satan is real. Uh, Whatever your belief is, the Bible depicts him uh, as God's greatest angel, Lucifer, in the book of Isaiah. Um, And so the book of Revelation teaches that when he fell, he took with his tail one-third of the angelic creation and They must have had at some point a free will, right? Because they chose to sin against God. But I believe that today they are like we will be in heaven. The free will is solidified in eternity. So again, that's kind of controversial, but I don't know how you believe that. But when we get to heaven, we still have a free will, but our free will, our choice on earth is solid in heaven. We chose Jesus, we have Jesus forever. They chose to rebel against Jesus or God than that they're doomed to hell. The lake of fire was created for the devil and his angels. So, do they, do they, know, do they know their end? Absolutely. Are aware of that? Absolutely. Why do you think Satan still tries to, to destroy the nation of Israel, to mess with Christians, to try and kill Jesus? Because he's dumb. So he knows, yeah. yeah, sin and pride are blinding. And so we need to be careful when we sin because when we sin, it, it brings confusion. Satan knows that, he's going, that his time is limited. He's trying to take as many to hell with him. He knows his, his, his destiny is sealed, if you will. So you have this guy that's demon-possessed. Again, blind, mute, can't talk, can't see. Um, verse 23, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? So they see Jesus heal this blind and mute man who is demon possessed. And they're saying, son of David, who, who is the son of David a reference to? The Messiah. So the multitude is recognizing. Now the Pharisees, verse 24, heard it, uh, heard it. They said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. What? They're ascribing to Jesus the power of Satan. Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Satan. Jesus responds, verse 25, but Jesus knew their thoughts. How does Jesus know their thoughts? So do you believe it's because he's God or do you believe because he's dependent upon God and the Holy Spirit to show him and teach him and lead him? Okay. There's two camps. I don't have an answer. I'm just wondering what you guys believe. Yeah. What do you think, Brian? Did, he's God? I never really thought about that. Or he's 
trusting in God to give him a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. He's fully man, 100%. Limited limitations. So I think he depends upon God at this point. Okay. He, just for a little while. Yeah, you know I mean? okay. He, what happens when he's healing people? I mean, that's him or it's, no. I mean, it's God? Huh? Again, it, it could be either or, right? It could be that he's doing it as deity or he laid aside deity, as Philippians 2 says, verses 5 through 11. And now he's just dependent upon the, the Holy Spirit to be able to lead him and guide him, to show us how to be dependent upon God. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no answer, but I like to think as he laid aside that deity, he's showing us, guys, this is what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. I get up early in the morning and I pray to the Father. And Go ahead. Just something, because if in fact he, 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 he had... Uh, He's uh, tempted with like passions as, as we are, you know. Yep. And so the, the whole thing here is if he was deity, you know, we're not deity. Uh-huh. So, you know, how is that? Fully man. Yeah. He never stopped being God. He added God to his nature. So his nature is God. He added humanity. I'm sorry, he didn't add God. He added humanity to his nature. So... Just an interesting, you know, thing to think about. I like to think he's showing us an example of how we can walk in the Spirit. Okay? Uh, But, you know, we don't know. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself cannot stand, or will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And so Jesus is saying, guys, that's not even logically correct. If Satan is destroying Satan, Satan's going to be destroyed. Why would Satan destroy Satan if Satan's going to be destroyed? So no, that doesn't make sense. But I like a lot of interesting things that he's saying here. He's saying, first of all, you guys receive uh, the sons of Israel as casting out demons. Who are they casting them out by? Okay. And he's saying, um, and then he says, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's letting them know, guys, it's here. I I am the Messiah. I am the one that God promised. He's letting them know. Then he says something interesting. Verse 29, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? So Satan is being bound by Jesus as Jesus is coming, being dependent upon the Holy Spirit, being led of the Father doing everything in obedience to what the Father is calling him to, and that limits Satan in the world. And so we can do the same thing in that case where we can bind Satan by obedience to God, and that limits Satan working in our lives. That's a powerful, powerful thing for us. And so we are not victims to Satan in the sense that he can overpower. He's stronger than us. He could beat us all. 
but because we have God, there's no match. Okay? So very important that we can walk and live in victory if we so choose to call upon God for the power that we need, the things that he wants to do in our lives. Um, Then he says, he who is not with me is against me and who does not gather with me scatters abroad. With Jesus, he's leaving no room for neutrality. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just like to keep my faith to myself. I don't really like to talk about it to people. I try to live the best life I can. Jesus is saying, no, there's no room for that. You are with me, working on my team, getting directions from me, and I am leading you and guiding you in life, or you're actually against me. That's powerful. Because there's a lot of Christians that are closet Christians. Come out of the closet. <laughs> Undercover. Yeah, I'm just a sharpshooter, man. I only come out every once in a while, and then I see somebody, I take them out. You know, No, come out of the closet. <laughs> you know, Be bold for God. Verse 31. Therefore I say to you, Jesus saying, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Whoa. So Jesus introduces blasphemy because they are attributing to Jesus the power of Satan. They are committing blasphemy in a way that we can't commit blasphemy. How is that? Well, Jesus is not here in front of us on earth in his ministry. He's definitely here with us. And he leads us and guides us. But physically doing miracles, Jesus is not here. He's doing it through his church, but he's not physically here. So when they saw Jesus pre-Holy Spirit coming down, remember Jesus said, guys, disciples, I got to leave. If I don't leave, I cannot send the helper. But when I leave, he's going to be in you. He's going to be with you and he's going to be in you. And then he's going to come upon you. So different, whole different dynamic taking place. So their blasphemy was saying that Jesus was doing the work by the power of Satan. But then he brings in the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, notice verse 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. So a lot of people are fearful that they've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So you go to church and everyone's talking in tongues and you're like, man, what the heck is this? This looks like this is from the devil. Whoa, somebody said I committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because I attributed to God the devil's power. Yeah, that's not, that be blasphemy, but that's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and to point them to the cross in Jesus. Okay? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is on his J-O-B. The Holy Spirit is going to do his job. He's going to convict us of sin and point us to the cross as the solution for that sin. If I resist that over my life, then I've committed the only sin that I can never be forgiven of, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's that Pretty simply. Any questions on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? That's called the unpardonable sin. So if I live the lifestyle of a homosexual, is that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? No. No. If I get drunk, is that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? 
No. If I'm mean to people, is that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? No. Those are sins, and we shouldn't commit sin, but that's not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us struggles with sin. And if we're not struggling, then we're playing with it and having fun in it. And if you're having fun in it, and you're not struggling with it, then you're probably not a Christian. A good sign that you're a Christian is you struggle with sin. Isn't that neat? Because the religious would have us believe something different. But that's legalism. Why don't you be perfect like me? Well, you're not perfect, so shut up. Right? So we we let the cat out of the bag. Every single one of us struggles. Every single one of us struggles. But what do we do with that struggle? Right? Do we take that struggle to God? Do we say, Lord, now I confess. This ain't what I should be doing. And then do we say, Lord, help me. Help me. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. What's a viper? Who's the original snake in the garden? (laughs) He's calling them a, a group of descendants of your father. Jesus isn't mincing words here. Are these light words? Are these soft words? Are these politically correct words? Brood of vipers. You have the Messiah sitting in front of you. I have shown you sign after sign after sign why I am the Messiah. And you're accusing these miracles as being done as I'm setting people free from from demonic bondage? You're accusing me of having the power of Satan? I'll show you who Satan is. Brood of vipers, he calls them. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, of, uh, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What words will justify us ultimately? Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, Jesus, some say you're you know, Jeremiah and some say you're that prophet. And Well, who do you say that I am? Peter says you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father was in heaven. And I say to you that upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That came from God, the father, that revealed Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, right? And so those are the words that will justify us. Now, there is something important for us to say here. What is coming out of our mouth? Because out of the abundance of the heart, he's saying the mouth speaks. And I find it interesting. Legalism is just this trippy thing that so many in the church, unfortunately, possess, where they think they're better than others because they don't do certain things. And what I find with people who are very legalistic, I often find they're very cruel with their words because they're self-righteous. And in that self-righteousness, they think they're better than others. But if you watch how they talk to others and about others, 
you will often see very, very mean-spirited. And answer me this. Would it be better if, let's say, I, as a Christian, struggled with alcohol and I struggled with pornography, I struggled maybe with um, profanity, but man, you know what? I was just a gracious guy when it came to people. I was a merciful person when it came to people. And when I saw somebody in need, man, if I had a dollar, it was theirs. That person of a struggle, as opposed to this person who, man, all intents, purposes, man, they are like as righteous as righteous can be. They're just so clean. They never use profanity. They don't touch a drop of alcohol. And pornography, oh my gosh, they would never, ever struggle or even dare have pornography come near them. But when it comes to treating people, very judgmental, very callous, very self-righteous, very hold people at arm's length because they can't afford to be near me. You don't know how perfect and holy I am. I mean, honestly, if we looked at those two persons and I had a genuine struggle with both of one or the other, you know which one God would be a little more pleased with? Because he tells the religious leaders which one he would be more pleased with. He says, you guys, you tithe on mint and cumin. You, you take your little herbs, your seeds that you, your, 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 imagine pepper flakes. One, two, three, nine for me. And God, here's your one pepper flake. And, and they had it down because they were so self-righteous. He goes, but you've, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. What did he say? Like mercy and justice. You should have done those without leaving the others. So I'm not mad that you tithe on mint and cumin, but what were the weightier matters? Where was the mercy? Where was the justice? The fact that you deserve justice and God was merciful to you and God wants you to be merciful. Okay? So yeah, we all struggle, but if we're gonna struggle, God tells us, I sure do wish you struggled on treating people right. I sure, I sure do wish you struggled on caring about hurting people because that's God's heart. Verse 38, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. What's hilarious about that verse? <laughs> which, which one? I mean, I healed, I healed lepers. Anybody ever do that? Uh, oh yeah, one guy in the Old Testament. Well, Miriam was healed for a little while, right? So two people in the Old Testament. Are you kidding me right now? I've casted out demons galore, mutant, mutant, blind, and your, your guys couldn't do that. I just did that. I, 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 I restored a withered hand, right? All of these things that Jesus has been doing. There's a section that we read. He said he healed them all. The multitudes came to him and he healed them all of all these diseases, of all these sicknesses. That's all he's been doing. Yeah, we want to see a sign. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh 
will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. What was Jonah's message? Was he just so, he was so gracious huh, with his message. He was so caring about those Ninevites, right? He's like, just three days and you guys are damned. <laughs> and they repented. And he, Jesus comes all gracious and doing miracles and all of this. And they're like, a greater than Jonah's here. This message that I'm bringing is greater than what Jonah was able to bring to Nineveh. But you guys are going to be judged for that. The queen of the south, verse 42, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So that would be the queen of Sheba, right? from Africa. She hears about this wisdom that Solomon has. She goes from Africa to Israel to be able to hear um, Solomon proclaim this wisdom, believe that she takes the gospel back or you know the message of, of this God of the nation of Israel back to uh, Africa. And so just that's kind of neat. But Jesus is saying, as, as, as Solomon was the wisest man that ever walked the earth, there's a new wisest man that ever walked the earth and I'm him. A greater than Solomon is here. The wisdom that I want to proclaim to you, the wonderful truth that I can bring to you is standing in front of you. You guys are going to be judged with this, you know, the Queen of Sheba, if you will. She'll rise up and condemn you because she traveled from far away. You guys didn't have to travel nowhere. I came to you, Jesus is telling them. Verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. So if a person is demon-possessed and the demon is cast out of that individual, that person can clean their lives up from the outside. But unless God comes and occupies that space, that is an empty abode and that demon will come back and bring with it a horrific uh, place. And this is basically Jesus prophesying what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. So you guys have it cleaned on the outside, but you guys are in a world of hurt. And have they been in a world of hurt? Absolutely. Temple destroyed in 70 AD, and they've had incredible persecution. Uh, Then he says, I will return to my house, verse 44, from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. Can that happen to a Christian? Can a demon be cast out of a Christian and then you don't, you sweep it, clean it, and then it comes back and brings seven worse demons? Can that happen to a Christian? No. Why? Yeah. So demon can't enter into us. Okay. So this is definitely an unbeliever thing. So let's say somebody says, I got to clean my life up. And they clean their life up from the outside. Stop drinking, get their life in order, do stuff. But they never ask God in. That's what he's referring to. And there's a lot of people like that. And I think a lot of times we think about seedy behavior as demon possession. But how about self-righteous behavior? How about Satan's sin of pride? the worst sin in the world. Pride. The worst sin in the world. A lot of prideful people that have their lives, 
their house cleaned and in order. And you don't know what demonic influence has affected them. Making them famous, making them rich, having their life look from the outside perfect. But all the while, lost as lost can be. And I think, I think, I don't know if it's America, but I think in the West we definitely struggle with judging what lives look like. We see it when we go to the homeless encampment, how people will judge them, but they won't judge people who have jobs and people who have their life in order as if God's impressed with something like that. I think they're both equally hurting. Somebody who doesn't have God on any level is equally hurting from God's perspective. And so I think we need to be careful with what we elevate and what we're impressed with. Because God's not that impressed. God's not that impressed. When an unclean spirit, did I just finish that? Worse, yes. Verse 46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he said, he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hands toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my, mother, my brother and sister and mother. Did he say father? No, he didn't say father. So his family consists of one father and multiple, maybe moms and brothers and sisters, family of God, but only one father, his heavenly father. So interesting dynamic there for anybody who believes that Jesus didn't have brothers and sisters because in the Greek, there is a word for cousins. He doesn't use that word. He uses brothers. So these would be his half-brothers, right? Fully from Mary and Joseph. Jesus was from Mary and God the Father as his father. So interesting. That's where we end that. Jesus is going to turn a corner in his ministry from this chapter on out. So he's done with the religious leaders. No longer will he teach openly. He will speak now in parables as he continues on in his ministry. And his parables are, his parables are to do one of two things. It sheds light on people who want to hear and know. It, it hides truth from people who don't want to hear and know. Isn't that interesting? And so you have to ask yourself, to what degree and to what extent do you want to hear truth from God? Because believe it or not, you can hold God back at arm's length, even as a Christian. We do that. We do that. And so, you know, get in touch with that. We want light for the purpose not of just having light expose darkness and bring truth to us, but so that we can actually walk in that truth. It's what pleases the Father. You were created to bring glory to God. And what brings glory to God is fruit out of your life. The fruit that God wants to bring into your life is ultimately it's love, the fruit of the Spirit, but it's how we affect and, and, and deal and connect with people. God's about people. And I think this world is right for genuine Christians that would be able to bring this incredible message of God. Um, and I think our world is just, man, lost. <laughs> lost world we live in.